pray, amen. And you may be seated. If you have your Bibles, I trust you do. If you can open with me to the book of Hosea, the book of Hosea. And just, uh, I will ask you to go ahead and turn in your table of contents. That might help you get to Hosea. And, or we're going to use that in just a second as well. So table of contents, the front of the Bible that lists all the books. And then that might be able to help you look at Hosea, the Old Testament, and give you a page number, and you can get there as well. Kind of a hard book to find. But just think about this. The Bible that we hold in our hands um, this morning was written over a period of roughly 2,000 years by 40 different authors from three continents um, who wrote in three different languages. And while the Bible, as we always say, is a unified book that tells one story of redemption, um, it is divided into two parts. The Bible we hold in our hands has 66 books spread out over two testaments, the Old and the New. The Old Testament, as we know it, contains 39 books and covers the time period from creation all the way to 400 years before Jesus was born. Um, basically, in its broadest strokes, the Old Testament describes the creation of the universe, the fall of mankind, and God's promise that he would send a Savior. The New Testament contains 27 books. It covers a period of around 100 years, all the way um, right before the birth of Christ to around 70 years after his death. And in the, the broadest strokes of the New Testament, it describes the fulfillment of all of God's promises towards us and sending his son and what his son would do. And it points us to the coming fulfillment of God's promise in the new heaven and the new earth. And so although the Bible is one story displaying God's glory through creation and the salvation of his people, we know that there is a division, Old Testament, New Testament. And Hosea, where we're going to camp out today, is in the New Testament. And uh, so this would be a time for you to kind of hold your place in Hosea, but also look at your table of contents for what we're about to do. So the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, make up what is called um, the, the Pentateuch, the Torah, or the Law. These books cover um, all the ground from creation to the um, buying back of or the redemption of God's people, children of Israel, from Egypt and bringing them into a promised land and the death of Moses. The next 12 books um, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther are called historical books. They describe the history of God's people. Um, in case you have read these books, we know it is not a pretty history. It's a history of sin and rebellion. But thankfully, it's a history of God's grace over them in the midst of their sin and rebellion. Then we get to the five wisdom books, which is Psalms, Proverbs, or excuse me, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon or Song of Songs. And these books, when I mean, you think about this, they answer the big questions of, of how evil and God relate to one another when we think about the book of Job, or how can we properly express our emotions when things stink, when we think about the book of, of Psalms, or what it means to be wise when we think about Proverbs, or why life can feel so empty at times and we think about the book of Ecclesiastes or how we can honor God in our marriage when we think about the Song of Songs. Then we come to Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, which are known as the major prophets. 
And these books are major, not because they're cooler or more awesome. They're major because they are longer and because they have a broader or more global scope or focus to them. So they are the record of God through his prophets calling his people to repent, to obey, to enjoy fellowship with him or to face the consequences of judgment away from him. And then finally, we come in the Old Testament to the last 12 books that are known as the minor prophets. Not lesser prophets, just shorter prophets. So they're, they're shorter, um, as they're, uh, the way they're written, and they have a more narrow focus on a certain nation. Um, and so what we know in the Hebrew Bible, the, the 12 minor prophets were basically one book, and they were often referred to simply as just the 12. Hosea is the first of the 12 major prophets. Uh, minor prophets, excuse me, and just like the, the major prophets before them, they are a record of God declaring blessings upon his people who obey and punishment upon his people who, who disobey. And so what we are doing this morning is beginning a new 12-week series that will take us through each week through one of the minor prophets. And normally we pass over um, the minor prophets when we are reading the Bible um, think about this. They contain difficult names, Nahum, Habakkuk, Haggai, or the Italian prophet, Malachi. And um, so we have trouble um, with, with them at times, with, with the names. Um, I, I know Malachi, in case you're wondering, named our son that, so got that one. But although these 12 books are oftentimes skipped over to our detriment, they reveal the heart of God over and towards a wayward and rebelling people. We often think the minor prophets are just books of judgment, but they also paint a picture of God whose scandalous love never stops pursuing the people who break his heart. So in the beginning of our series with the book of Hosea, we begin with, I'm just going to lay it out here this morning, the most mind-blowing picture of the love of God um, in the, all of the Old Testament. Only the cross blows our minds more than what we're going to read um, today and what God asked of this prophet. In fact, what we're going to read today is almost too difficult to believe. Um, it's almost uncomfortable to read and to hear what God literally asked a prophet to do. And let me just say this. God called a prophet, Hosea, not just to speak to his people, but to demonstrate God's faithfulness to a people who were unfaithful to God. What we're about to read is this, that God instructed a prophet named Hosea to marry a prostitute, to have children with her, to continue to love her and pursue her no matter what she did or no matter how many times she ran away from him. What God is doing is he's actively confronting his people and their rebellion and their adultery towards him. And what we're going to see today is a picture of relentless, even scandalous love that God has for not just his children Israel, but for us, for every single one of us in this room. So let us begin our series by jumping in the word. And for those of you right now who are concerned because you just heard me say we're going to cover one book each week and you just looked and saw that Hosea um, has a lot of, a lot of chapters, um, 14 I believe, and you're going, uh-oh. Let me, let me just um, lighten the mood a little bit and let's just say this. Everything you need to know about Hosea 
you can know by looking at the first three chapters. So the first three chapters gives us um, a whole picture of what is going on in this book. So that's where we'll be today. So we're going to be um, in Hosea 1, 2, and 3. So I'm going to ask you if you're able to stand as we read God's word. We're going to read the first chapter and then we're going to flip over and read chapter 3, just 1 through 3 together. So the first chapter and then chapter 3, 1 through 3. And it says this. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, the son of Beri, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the sons of Joash, king of Israel. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take yourself a wife of whoredom, and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. And the Lord said to him, Call his name Jezreel, for in just a little while I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. And on that day I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. She conceived again and bore a daughter, and the Lord said to him, Call her name No Mercy, for I will have no more, or I will no more have mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all. But I will have mercy on the house of Judah, and I will save them by the Lord their God. I will not save them by bow or by sword or by war or by horses or by horsemen. When she had weaned no mercy, she conceived and bore a son. And the Lord said, Call his name, not my people, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it was said to them, You are not my people, it shall be said to them, Children of the living God. And the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together, and they shall appoint from themselves one head. And they shall go up from the land, for great shall be the day of Jezreel. And then if we can look over at chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, and it says this, And the Lord said to me, Go again, Love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lethic of barley. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So will I also be to you. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today, Lord, in this uncomfortable yet sobering picture. First of all, a reality, a real picture that took place between a real man, real prophet named Hosea and his wife, and their kids and the people of Israel. But also, God, it shows us of your great love for us. God, help us not to get mixed up at who we are in this story. God, help us to realize, just like Israel, the people who rebelled, Lord, we are gomers. We are people who continually run from you, continually are unfaithful to you. Yet, Lord, you remain faithful. God, we thank you for your relentless, even scandalous love for us. God, it hit us, we pray, in all sides today. With that picture of your love. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So, have you ever heard someone say that God told them to do something that just seemed absolutely or totally crazy? 
I mean, I can think of people who've told me to, that they, God told them to do something. I'm like, man, I'm glad God didn't tell me to do that because I would have a hard time saying, yeah, that must be God. And, but if, if you've met somebody or yourself have a story, then you might be in good company because the Bible includes story after story of God giving people instructions that either sounded insane or instructions that they just could not wrap their heads around. They could not understand at all. And when God called to Hosea and told him to marry a prostitute, he must have doubted who it was, just for a moment, who was talking to him. He must have said, God, are you serious? Um, you, you can't be, this cannot be true, God. You, it's got to be a joke, April Fool's, something must be going on, what was happening here and think about this, marrying Gomer, and, and let's go ahead and state the obvious in the room. Um, Gomer is not on our top ten list of what we name our daughters. I can only think of one Gomer that I've ever known, and that was on TV, and his last name was Pyle, and he was an idiot. So, I mean, that tells you a, a whole lot of what we need to know, and only the older people get that, so we'll move on quickly. But marrying Gomer broke every cultural norm of that day, especially for a prophet of God just didn't make sense. I think there's times in our lives when God tells us to do something and we're uncomfortable with it, we tend to either brush it off because we go, well, God, that doesn't line up with my plan, so how can it be of you if it doesn't line up with my thoughts or my plans? Or we begin to make excuses of why it just can't be a message from God. God, did you really mean that? God, don't you see all the problems that this will cause me if I do this? God, what are others going to think if I do what you're telling me to do? Or, God, this just sounds like the worst idea ever. I'm sure you've got better ideas up there somewhere for me. We begin to make those excuses. Think about Hosea. He obeyed God, and yet his life had to look like a failure because of his unstable marriage because of all the chaos that was around him, because of the rumors that must have existed, because of him and his family. Yet, God was at work behind the scenes, and God was using this story of Hosea and Gomer to show Israel just how much he loved them. Though they had constantly rebelled and sinned against him, God was going to rescue them. And as we dive into this book, don't be shocked. So don't be shocked by the, the prostitution, the unfaithfulness, the sorrow that we see. The people of God, the northern kingdom Israel, are about to face the consequences of their sin against God. In fact, very shortly, they are going to be destroyed. The Assyrian army is going to come in. They are going to be completely destroyed. And it's amazing. And when I think about ourselves and how unstable we are, it's amazing how we are tempted to question um, the question the judgment of God is if God must be unjust because of how anger, angry he can sometimes look or how his judgment seems so harsh. And we can begin to question God's judgment going, God, how fair can you be? But just let someone wrong us. And immediately we want divine and holy justice. Do we not? God, how could you do this? And then we go, how could you do this to me? So that person that wronged us, and it just shows us how far we are from seeing God the way we need to see him. But don't be shocked today by what we see. And then look beyond Hosea's suffering and God's pain to see an example of love that will not quit, that won't stop. First, in the way God loved his people Israel, but second of all, in the way God loves us. 
So we're going to listen today as see how Hosea loved his undeserving wife, and then we're going to consider how God does the same for each one of us in this room. So with the remaining time, and this is going to shock Jordan, so Jordan, just hang on. We're going to unpack four truths, not three, four truths concerning um, the love of God, the relentless love of God towards us. So the first is this. God's love towards us is scandalous. God's love towards us is scandalous. Look at, back at uh, Hosea 1, 1 and 2. It says, or 2 and 3, excuse me. The Lord said to Hosea, go take to yourself a wife of whoredom. Have children of whoredom for the Lord commits, or the land commits great whoredom by forsaking God. So he went and took Gomer. So not only did Hosea live in this terrible land, standing on the brink of God's judgment, but God's command seems more like a sick joke than a loving, divine commission. Go marry a prostitute and have children with her. That is the command. Any of us in Hosea's situation would have either said no, or if we said yes, we'd have bailed out the second all the other dysfunction started. We would have got out as quick as possible, yet Hosea went forward. He was under no pretense concerning what type of marriage he was entering into. He knew from the beginning of the marriage that his marriage would be filled with infidelity. He knew what he was getting. Yet this prophet was to take and embrace his wife with the full knowledge of her past and the full knowledge of her future. In fact, we look at this passage and we see a distinct difference in the way that the children, their children are described. In fact, look with me. Look at verse 3. In verse 3, the, the language of chapter 1, the language used to describe their first son says, she conceived and bore him, meaning Hosea, a son. But then look down at verses 6 and verse 8. For verse 6 and verse 8 says, she conceived and again bore a daughter. And then verse 8, she um, had weaned him, she conceived and bore a son. Notice what is missing. The shift in language suggests that while the first son was indeed Hosea's, the second and the third were a result of Gomer's ongoing unfaithfulness. This is the picture that we get from the word of God. And here is when we start to see the fullness of God's command to this prophet. He was supposed to marry an unfaithful woman, have children with her that were not his, and then to faithfully raise them and care for them and provide for them knowing they weren't his. And then at some point between the end of Hosea 1 and the beginning of Hosea chapter 3, Gomer takes off. She leaves. We don't know exactly when. We don't know exactly why. We know, though, when we get to chapter 3, she's gone. Maybe this was her usual pattern. Maybe like we do so often. Maybe she would commit herself to her husband only to find the allure or, or the strings pulling us back. Maybe they were pulling her back. Maybe she just could not fully believe that her husband was committed to her or loved her the way that he claimed he did. Maybe she was waiting for the day that he would just get tired of all that she was doing and he would leave her. Regardless of what the reason was, she left. And whatever the rest of the story holds, what we know is in this moment, when we look at chapter 3, Gomer found herself 
in chains, in slavery, apart from her husband. And the Lord said in the beginning of chapter 3, verse 1, Go again and love a woman who is loved by another man. And what Hosea was asked to do and what he did was not required by the law. The law gave him a loophole. So the law of Moses gave him a loophole. If your wife commits adultery or adultery is found, the loophole is you can get out. But the command of God and Hosea's love for God and Hosea's love for his wife drove him beyond the legal requirements of the law. And let me just say this. Let me just lay this out here from the beginning. This is not a fairy tale kind of love we're talking about today. This is a scandalous type of love that should make us feel a little uncomfortable right now. In fact, I see in your faces there's a little uncomfortableness going on across because this is an uncomfortable story. Yet, this story should make us feel securely loved. Securely loved. Don't miss this. God's love towards us is scandalous. But then second, the second truth is this. God's love towards us is sacrificial. God's love towards us is sacrificial. When we get to chapter 3 again, in the first two verses, it says this. The Lord said to me, Hosea, go again. Love a woman who is loved by another man, is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel. So we're beginning to get a picture of how God loves us, even in our wretchedness. Gomer had been unfaithful all along, and finally she was off. She was gone. She was with another man. She was in slavery. In fact, according to the law of Moses, Hosea could have had her stoned. He could have had her killed. She was condemned under the law, but yet God says to him, not kill her, but go again. Not just go and get her out of her self-inflicted state, but then he says this, go again and Love her. Go again and love her. I don't know how to let this hit home. Think about what Hosea just heard. Hosea hadn't read the book of Hosea. He, he didn't know what was coming. There had to be something in Hosea that said, God, I have loved her. And she keeps throwing my love away. I've been faithful to her and she's been nothing but unfaithful to me. God, are you really asking me to go to her again? Are you really asking me to love her again? God, I've been the faithful husband. She's been the unfaithful one. And God is saying to us, I am the faithful lover of your souls. And you are the faithless ones who are prone to wonder. And in case you missed this, let me just lay this out here. Not only did loving and buying back his wife probably cost Hosea his reputation, it cost him financially. In fact, we can attest or, or kind of come to the conclusion based on the word of God that this situation drove Hosea into bankruptcy. It literally broke him. How do we know that? Because it says this. He says, so I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and three bushels of barley. Scholars tell us that a common um, slave went in that day for 30 shekels. Apparently, all that Hosea had was 15. That's all he had. So he paid half in cash and the other half he had to pay in barley. 
It completely broke him. Just think about this, brothers and sisters. Hosea and Gomer is the story of God and Israel, but it's also our story. When we, like Gomer, were enslaved, God bought us back. When we found ourselves stuck in chains we never intended on, whether it be the chains of insecurity, the chains of discontentment, the chains of fear, the chains of lust, the chains of pride, the chains of power, all caused by sin, God freed us from those chains. When we, by our very nature, threw God's love away, He redeemed us. At a price, the price of the blood of his son. And here's the point. Just as Hosea went to Gomer when she was powerless to return to him. She had nothing. She could not return to him on her own. So Jesus came to us in order to rescue and redeem us when we were powerless to do anything on our own. We have been unfaithful and he has been faithful. And he faithfully took our place. And he faithfully gave us what we could never earn on our own. So that we can be free and be free indeed. This is what Hosea did for Gomer. And this is what Jesus does for us. Don't miss the sacrificial love of God for us. The love of God is scandalous. It's sacrificial. And the third truth is this. The love of God, God's love towards us, and I love this, is stubborn. God's love towards us is stubborn. And that truth should lead all of us to say, Amen and thank you, Jesus. That his love towards us is stubborn. In fact, think about this. So in in Hosea 2, we're not going to read it, but the first half of Hosea 2 tells us the judgment that's coming on Israel because of their sin. And the the second half, it tells us God's mercy that he's going to redeem them again because of his great love. But just look at verse 8 of chapter 2. Verse 8 of chapter 2 says this, And she, this is God speaking of Israel, but this could literally be Hosea talking, she did not know that it was I who gave her the grain, the wine, the oil, and who lavished on her silver and gold, which they used for Baal. So God is saying, I gave and gave and gave and gave and gave, knowing they would use it to worship another God that's not even a God, and yet I kept giving. Look at verse 13. I will punish her for the feast days of Baal, when she's burned offerings to them, Adorned herself with a ring, jewelry, went after her lovers. So punishment is, is coming. But then look back at verse 9. Therefore I will take back my grain in its time. Oh, I'm, I am so confused right now. I wrote down the wrong verse. I hate when that happens. Verse 14 is where I should be. Therefore, behold, I will allure herself or her and bring her into the wilderness. So just listen to this. Listen to the stubborn love of God. God would love, God would give, she would keep worshiping Baal. And God would say this, but I will still allure her. And I will still speak tenderly to her because I love her. And then look at chapter 3, verse 1. Again, Lord said to me, go again and love a woman who is loved by another. 
one of the recurring themes of the book of Hosea is found in that phrase, and don't miss this phrase, go again, go again, go again, go again, go again. God would not, and please hear this, God would not allow Hosea to give up on Gomer because God does not, will not give up on us. He will not give up on us. He will not do it. So in Hosea, God is saying, I redeemed you the first time and you forgot about me, but I'm coming again and this time I'm going to purchase you with my own blood. This is how God continues to feel about us. When we fall back into sin, God says to his son, go again. When we forget him, God says to his Holy Spirit, go again. When we fall back into those same sins God delivered us from the first time, go again. When we are feeling the pain and the heartache that comes from the sinful choices of willfully um, neglecting God, go again. Go again, go again, go again. Now you might be asking in this moment, what if I keep rejecting him? Are you saying that I get unlimited chances and unlimited go-agains? And I would have to say, according to the word of God, no, no, we do not. We don't take God's grace for granted. We don't just presume on God's grace. And we don't say just because he got this chance, then I'm guaranteed to get it because that's not how it works. God will not force himself on any one of us. But understand this. Scripture says that we can harden our hearts by rejecting him. Harden our hearts, harden our hearts, harden our hearts. But let me say this. Even in our hardening of our hearts, the last voice we will hear before the judgment comes will be the voice of God saying, you don't have to go this way. You don't have to do this. Just turn to me now. Just turn to me now. All we have to do is to look up and to understand what he has done for us. Even now, even now, look to him. Put your eyes on Him. Remember, God's love is not based on what you have done for Him. God's love for you is based on who He is. This is who He is. This is His character. And let me just say this. His love for us, praise God, is a stubborn love. I looked up stubborn and it means this. To refuse to change. To refuse to stop. And being unreasonably unyielded. Here's what I know about us. We can be stubborn in refusing the love of God towards us. We can be stubborn. But thankfully, God's love is more stubborn still. His love, His grace is more stubborn still. God's love towards us is stubborn. It will not stop. It will not quit. It is unreasonably unyielded towards us. And then the last truth is this. God's love towards us is strong. Strong. Strong enough not just to change our eternal destiny, one day in the future what we call heaven. No, his love is strong enough to change us right now. To change us from the inside out. To make us, as the word of God says, we are new creations. Again, think about the word of God. Chapter 2, verses 15 and 16 says, And there I will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. I don't have time to point us back to uh, Joshua chapter 7 and what the valley of Achor means. But what it means is the valley of trouble. And it was trouble because one man troubled Israel and caused 
caused the defeat of the army, defeat of Israel, caused the death of other people. And this valley became a valley of trouble. And yet the word of God says that God is able to change a valley of trouble into a door of hope. This is the God that we serve. And then it says this, In that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband, and no longer will you call me my bell. I struggle with that. I struggle with that verse going, Lord, what in the world does that mean? What does that mean? And God, why are you saying that we call you my bell? And the more I looked, and the more I dug, and the more I studied, the more I realized what God is saying. Sometimes we treat God just like other people treat their gods. And I would say this, sometimes we are less committed to our God than others are to their false gods. I mean, think about this. We, many Christians are less committed to the God of the universe. We're less committed than some people are to a false God that doesn't exist. We're less committed. But what God is saying is this. Don't just worship me like everybody else. You get to worship me inside of a relationship where you call me my husband. There's a relationship there. And then look at chapter 3 and verse 3. And Hosea said to Gomer, you shall not play the whore or belong to another man. And let me just say this. Most people have the impression that they need to clean themselves up, become nice and tidy before God will receive them. But the beautiful thing about Christianity is Christianity is the great reversal. We see it in the story of Hosea. For Hosea offered his love to Gomer while she was still a prostitute, while she was still an adulteress, while she was in captivity. Hosea did not say, Gomer, free yourself and we'll talk. You paid the price. You, You broke me. I'm not doing one more thing. You do it and then maybe we'll talk. That's not what happened here. She didn't have to free herself and clean herself up before Hosea would love her. He offered his love to her freely and unconditionally. And just think about this. Think about this for every single one of us in this room. Acceptance, forgiveness, and unconditional love comes first. Because of his love for us, change follows. Change follows that. We are changed by that because of that. Gomer would never have had the strength to free herself. So God used Hosea to mirror his love For her, the kind of love that comes back over and over and over again. The kind of love that takes a life that's broken and makes it whole. It's the kind of love that turns, get this, that turns Gomer's into Hosea's. You know what we are prone to do? We always, when we read the Bible, here's the, the sin of us. We always make ourselves out to be the hero. We read stories like David and Goliath, and guess who we are? We're David. And guess who everything else is against us is Goliath. And what we realize is, no. You know what we are? We're, we're a pebble. That's what we are. The, the picture is Jesus is the David. He has conquered the enemy that we could not conquer. We, but we like to read ourselves into the hero. We must be Hosea. Loving everybody, and here's the point, no, Jesus is Hosea. But let me say this, those of us who understand that we are gomers, the picture is when we understand how much God loves us and how much he has through his son purchased us back and what he has done in our lives through the Holy Spirit, the only reasonable response for us is to be the outstretched hands of him that he was to us. That's the only reasonable response 
In fact, let me say this. Maybe you're here this morning and the word that you need to hear over a certain situation or even maybe even over a certain relationship is this word. Go again. But you don't know what they said about me. Go again. But they were so mean. Go again. But they caused me harm. Go again. Go again. Go again. And go again. And go again. And if you stop going, the chances are you've stopped understanding what Christ has done for you. If you're living with broken relationships, you have forgotten what Christ has done for you. If you're acting like what they did for you is worse than what you did to Jesus, then you have forgotten what He has done for you. Go again, go again, and go again. And let me say this, I can't guarantee that your outstretched arms are going to change every gomer in your life. Sometimes gomers don't change. Sometimes they stay right where they are in their sin. But here's what I will guarantee if you continually receive the love of God and stretch that out to others, it might not change them, but I guarantee you, it will change you. It will change you because it will make you more and more like Jesus. For that is what he has done for us. His love changes us. In final closing words, let me just share a quote from Donald Gray Barnhouse. It says this, just think about the love of God here. The pursuing love of God is the greatest wonder in the spiritual universe. When we see this love at work through the heart of Hosea, we may wonder if God is really like that. But he is. Think about it. Many years later, he would give man the ability to form the iron in the ground he had given him into nails. And to fashion the trees in the fields he had created into a cross. Then he stretched out his hands upon that tree and allowed us to nail him there. And in so doing, he took our sins upon himself. This is our God and there is no one else like him. This is the message this morning. Stop for a moment right now in closing and think. It doesn't matter what happened in your life yesterday. It doesn't matter what happened in your life last year or that one time back then. What matters is what's happening right now. And the mercy that God is extending towards you through his son, Jesus. All is not lost. There is a love that has come to you. If you don't know him, there's a love that is coming to you right now. Or maybe... You know him and you are running away. Let me say there's a love right now that's coming for you. It's coming for you because it's stubborn and it will not stop. Here's what I know that Jesus died in our place. He took the wrath that belonged to us. Trust him. Turn to him. As sure as the sun comes up, as sure as it rains, God has promised his mercy to a people who will return to him, who will come back to him. Will you today come back to him? Will you see yourself as being the gomer that you are, that I am? And will we stand amazed at the amazing, gracious, relentless, even scandalous love of God towards us? I'm going to go ahead and ask you to stand. No, 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 I'm sorry. I'm going to ask you to sit.
I told you the whole thing at the beginning, but I'm going to call the musicians to stand and to come forward. And what we're going to do today is we're going to end the service a little differently than we normally do. And that what's about to happen is in just a few minutes, we are about to come to the Lord's table and celebrate the ordinance of communion, the Lord's Supper. But we don't want to do this in an unworthy manner. We don't want to come to this table and treat this as something flippant or as just something we do. No, this is a celebration, brothers and sisters. But even the Word of God tells us that we don't do this lightly. So therefore, I want us to take time this morning in the next few moments, just right where you are. And maybe you don't want to stay there. If you don't want to stay there, the altars are open for us to come here. But for you in this moment to come and to get your heart right with him. To get your heart right with him before we do this. Maybe today the heart is this. Maybe the heart is you're not saved. You're away from him. You're running from him. You've never turned to him. And today needs to be the day of salvation for you. The day that you stop running, the day that you turn from your sin, the day that you turn from trusting in yourself, and the day that you turn to Jesus Christ and trust Him as Savior and Lord. Maybe, that's, maybe this is your day for that. Or maybe you're a child of God in this room and you've run from God yet again. And Satan, man, he's a, he's a sneaky enemy. He likes to tell us, you're done. You're done. You can't come back from that. Whatever that is, you can't come back from it. But praise God, we serve the God of the comeback. The God of the comeback story. God who is able to do more than we could ever imagine. Maybe today your comeback is on the table. Maybe it's there. And all you have to do is take it. So wherever you are, wherever you need to be in this moment, whether it may be at the altar, maybe it's right where you are, maybe it's standing, I have no idea. But whatever, in this moment, we're going to have a few minutes where we just seek God. And then we'll tell you what happens next. But let's just, whatever it is, let's do it now.